Welcome to the J.D. Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with J.D. Power, and with me today are Mike Taylor, who leads our travel practice, and Jenny Corwin, our lead analyst for travel, and Andrea Stokes, who recently joined us to head up our hospitality practice. So, Mike and Jenny and Andrea, welcome. Hello. 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 Okay, great. Well, let's jump, jump into it. Uh, Mike, starting off with the airlines, uh, we see that um, – uh, recently, uh, the um, uh, Delta management was talking to uh, analysts on Wall Street, and um, uh, it looks like they're focusing on kind of a return of um, the days where we had simpler fare structures, uh, and it, it looks like that's probably based on just you know, customer travel or response to the, the really complex nature of uh, airfares today. So are we, are we seeing the same thing, and, and, and is that where we see uh, trends going? Yeah, actually, for the longest time, our data in the J.D. Power North American Airlines study has shown that the cost and fees, you know, the cost of the ticket plus any fees that you incur while you're traveling on the airline, uh, is the key driver of satisfaction. accounts for around a third, a quarter to a third, depending on what year we're talking about. And uh, we also see in the data that um, the an airline like Southwest has a great uh, satisfaction with cost of fees from their passengers. And if you look further, their fees are not exactly that much different than Delta, United, or any of the other major airlines, but in a way in which they treat their passenger, they give the impression that they're going to treat them fairly. And one of these things that they do is they, you know, they don't have a bag fee, they make that part of their marketing, and they also don't change you a, charge you a change fee if you're just going to change your ticket from one destination to another or switch dates. And that gives sort of the halo effect that, you know, hey, they, they're really treating me fairly, you know, because my plans change or they're not exactly, uh, you know, I can't, you know, set everything in stone. And this is something that Delta has picked up um, through our data, I'm sure through their own data as well, is uh, that we should be able to communicate to the passenger that we're going to treat them fairly. And if you, you know, the passenger has so much more information coming at them when they're looking at booking prices and booking tickets, uh, they can see the differences among fares uh, from one destination from one airport to another. Uh, and then on that same airline from those same airports, they see it change from day to day, sometimes dramatically. And, of course, you know, uh, several websites track all those things for you and give you fare alerts and things like that. But all that gives the impression that, you know, why should something cost me $600 one day and $300 the next? And so this is Delta's response. Again, they haven't really put it into place yet. And they've done this a few years ago, a little over a decade, maybe 15 years ago. Uh, they tried doing this, but then very quickly they went into bankruptcy, not because of this fair thing, but because of other operational re reasons. And, uh, you know, those simple fares went away. But they're going to try and reintroduce that. And basically what we find in our data is they need to communicate to the passenger they're actually doing that. If they're going to make this step, they need to market it and really give the impression that, you know, that this airline is going to treat you fairly. And that usually, we usually see that accompany a nice rise in overall satisfaction with the airline experience. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, turning to hospitality, uh, Andrea, uh, I think we continue to see um, news and uh, analytical commentary around this issue of uh, resort fees at the hotels, and so there's uh, it looks like there's a couple lawsuits in progress, and kind of a swelling of um, uh, demand or support for more transparency around uh, resort fees. So, so, so where do we see this going? 
uh, just in terms of um, uh, the direction that hotel uh, brands will take around resort fees, and uh, and then how will the uh, the guests react to it? Yes, well, it's definitely um, more of an issue in in sort of the full service and luxury segments of the hotel industry. So full service hotels uh, in urban areas, also resorts, tend to have the these resort fees or sometimes they are called destination fees. I think in New York City they, they call them destination fees. And, uh, you know, I, I, despite the lawsuits and the, the call for more transparency, um, I think the resort fees, these fees are here to stay. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the will, there will be requirements for the hotel chains to be more transparent uh, up front about these fees. Uh, when I say up front, meaning um, earlier on in the booking process. So some of the complaints from consumers have been that, you know, you don't necessarily see the fee until you're about to book the hotel or perhaps not even then and you you show up at the hotel and are presented with this additional fee that you did not know about. So um, yes, I, I think it will lead to more transparency, um, but that also comes um, with then more scrutiny on the part of the consumer as to, well, if I'm paying this fee, what am I paying for exactly? Uh, and I think um, the hotel industry is really going to have to up the game in terms of what they're offering um, with these with these resort fees. That it actually feels uh, feels like consumers they're they're paying something extra, so they should be getting something extra, perhaps that they can't get uh, at other hotels. So, for a resort fee to include, you know, internet access. And, you know, local phone calls, um, well, certainly, you know, with cell phones, local phone calls at the hotel phone really just don't happen anymore. It's just really not relevant anymore. Um, and why, you know, consumers would feel like they should pay for that, you know, I think is, is going to come into question. So um, I think hotels are really going to have to up their game in terms of the extras that they are offering, Um you know, with resort fees. And some hotels are, you know, I think doing it right. Either, you know, perhaps it's a discount on special services in the hotel or perhaps um, I know of one resort that will include uh, free meals. The resort fee includes free meals for children, right? So that's something of value. I think that, you know, then consumers can... Um, can feel like they're actually, you know, getting something for what they pay for. Yeah, I, I, it just feels, I don't know if it's more frequent or not, but it just feels like nine times out of ten, the rate that I book a room at uh, isn't what I end up paying for when the bill, when I get the final bill. Um, right. Setting aside all those, you know, state and local taxes that uh, get tacked on. Jenny, uh, in our data, what, what do we see in our research in terms of uh, resort fees? Are we Looking at that, I, I know that I think generally uh, we're finding that guests are, are not that dissatisfied with cost and fees for the most part, right? Yeah, generally, guests are fairly satisfied with the overall cost and fees, particularly the price they pay for the room. Um, but 
even if they pay for services and amenities, I think the key thing that Andrea mentioned is, is transparency, right? Knowing what you're paying for ahead of time is certainly helpful. And, and I think the other thing we see in our research, and, I, and Andrea touched on this as well, is is making it feel like there's something of value there that you're getting for that resort fee. So the, we show in our research that the more things guests do while they're on the property, whether it's eating at your restaurant, whether it's using the pool or the fitness center, or even uh, you know paying for spa services, right? Even if there's things that they have to pay additional fees for, um, they generally see an increased value in their overall experience when they do more from the property because they're having a more valuable experience overall. They're having something more memorable. So I, I do think there is certainly something to be said about resort fees that include a discount or something that would entice the guest to even spend more money. Uh, you know, it's a discount to your spa or it's, you know, a free meal at the restaurant or something that could have even more additional ancillary revenue because it's going to make the guests see some value and realize that there's there's nothing wrong with that resort. See, I got something out of it at least, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm happy to pay a little bit extra um, for a better gym and equipment that actually, you know, works and is clean and well-maintained, so... Um, so turning the conversation to airports, Mike, the big news here in Los Angeles is LAX ending curbside pickup for Uber and Lyft. And uh, it looks like um, yeah, it's created a lot of news here, a lot of anxiety about you know what that means. Uh, I think if you're in um, Terminal uh, 1, um, that's very close uh, to the lot, so you can actually walk to it. But if you're all the way back in the corner or in the international terminal, that's going to be a hike. To get there, so uh, uh, what's what's happening here? Why is LAX doing this? Is this something we're seeing at the other airports? What's going to be the uh, the impact on the uh, traveler experience? Yeah, the the second biggest factor in the North American airport study, our satisfaction study that we do every year, among 64 airports in North America, is access, which is actually getting into the building itself. And uh, as I like to tell our clients, and I think I've said this on this podcast before, uh, airports have become a victim of their own success. Uh, they're so busy that no one wants to go there anymore. Um, and um, so this, you know, they have a really uh, hard time with all the congestion on the frontage at, at almost every, you know, let's say the top 40 or 50 airports in the United States. There's just so many people that want to be dropped off there. There's Uber and Lyft that's dropping off, you know, the door-to-door -door service. And it's just become too much. So they're trying to alleviate some of that traffic and congestion um, by, get, you know, directing those people they can actually influence, which are the TNCs or the Ubers, Ubers and Lyfts of the world, and forcing them to drop passengers off somewhere other than the door, that last door that they want to get to. Uh, so we've seen this actually happen in Cleveland, um, where they just immediately passed a resolution in city council without much discussion, saying that uh, now you're going to get dropped off if you take an Uber or Lyft a couple hundred yards past the terminal. And, of course, they didn't really publicize it very much because they thought, well, just do this uh, and solve our problem. But when you know Uber or Lyft was told, uh, you've got to drop your passengers off and they've got to walk back in the rain or the heat or... It hasn't snowed yet there in Cleveland, I don't think, at least. Uh, but it immediately had a hue and cry and uh, really showed up in our results. And now LaGuardia does basically the same thing. Obviously, LaGuardia is in big flux because they're building uh, facilities and uh, parking lots. And so they took one of their existing parking lot decks. The entire deck now is just Uber and Lyft 
and other TNC pickup spots. And if you're in a central terminal building, it's not too difficult uh, to get to, just as, you know, if you're in Terminal 1 uh, in uh, LAX, it's not too difficult. If you're in Tom Bradley or you're over the Marine Air Terminal, you've got to, you know, you've got to make a hike to, uh, you know, to get to that Uber lift spot. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's relatively covered. So this is the problem that we see is there's just so many people trying to get to the airport um, that it's causing so much congestion on the frontage that, um, you know, these are the, the, the situations that airports are being forced into. And it's obviating the value of that door-to-door service that Uber and Lyft promised people. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was in San Francisco yesterday and uh, flew into SFO, and they've, they've converted the, uh, the upper deck of the garage to a Uber Lyft uh, pickup point. It, it went really smooth. So hopefully uh, we'll get there eventually with LAX as they add that um, upper level for you know, the, the train or, or whatever. But, um, hey, but speaking of our North American airport study, um, since our last podcast, we actually published the, the 2019 study. So, Mike, what were the headlines coming out of the, out of the airport study? Well, I kind of mentioned them in a previous uh, topic in that access has decreased, mo- mostly as we see a little bit of an increase in traffic. Overall traffic on the airports is up 5% uh, versus a year ago. Um, but the other part of it has to be phasing in and out of construction at airports, which is really affecting, hampering access to the airports. And these are projects that are you know, multi-year, multi-billion dollars. Uh, the examples I like to use that, you know, O'Hare is going to look completely different. It's going to look like something out of Logan's Run. Uh, eventually, when they finally get done with it, it's all going to be under this glass canopy or seemingly glass-looking canopy, uh, which is something they actually need to do to kind of unify all the terminal space they've got. Uh, LAX, as you mentioned, uh, is going to go under the knife and has also started some of the construction on the exterior of the building. Atlanta is in the middle of a 15-year renovation project, and currently the outside of the airport is um, being torn up and redone in a fashion, and having a uh, basically a canopy put over a lot of the roadway uh, to keep you out of the hot sun in summertime and the uh, wintertime rains that they have in Atlanta. So those are the, the kind of the big headlines of what we saw change in in. Um, uh, the overall airport industry. Uh, Detroit, the winners were Detroit Metro for the mega category, uh, and they basically improved the most in access because they had a project on Highway 94, which is the main artery in the DTW, finish um, just the very start of our, our survey period, which allowed people to get to the airport faster and enjoy the things that DTW is doing there. Um, Indianapolis uh, won the medium category simply because they're so easy to get to, and they're a relatively new her- terminal. It's a basically 10- or 11-year-old terminal, but it's built with the kind of space that a modern terminal needs and also allows very easy access from the frontage and an ease of getting into the building itself. And then PDX, Portland International, out in Portland, Oregon, was the winner in the large category, uh, a perennial top perfor- performer in our study, they really do an outstanding, outstanding job uh, on their food, beverage, and retail and have been doing that for 20 years. It's one of the more successful food and beverage programs in the United States or at least in North America. And uh, it's also one of the most satisfying experiences for the average traveler going through PDX. Yeah, I've um, been to PDX a few times. I totally agree. But, look, they're missing uh, that barbecue you can get at, uh, at the Austin Airport. <laughs> uh, I, I think maybe Dallas Love uh, Field also has a great uh, barbecue uh, place. But 
Anyhow, thanks, Mike. Um, okay. So just to finish up, let's let's move the topic to digital. Uh, of course, um, the JD Power Travel Practice uh, launched a travel app study earlier this year. We've got two more coming out in November around travel app, travel websites. So we're really keeping a close eye on the digital market uh, place now in the travel industry. And so, um, so Jenny, we're we're seeing some changes in the Lyft app. Uh, looks like they're making it easier to not just uh, hail a ride on Lyft, but also to do things like find a bus or rent a bike or, or rent an e-scooter. Uh, is this, um, I, I guess, number one, why, what would be the logic uh, behind Lyft adding these capabilities to their app? And then uh, are we likely to see a competitive response from you know, from Uber and others? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting uh, to see Lyft doing this. I mean, it, it, to me, it signals a shift maybe. Uh, to them being more of a mobility company than, you know, just a ride-sharing app. And I think, uh, you know, keeping their customers engaged with them, regardless of their uh, travel needs, right, um, is, is obviously going to be even better for them, particularly because they are a digital-first company. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know that we'll see Uber respond. I feel like, uh, you know, Uber is kind of doing something a little different with, the, you know, they got a lot with Uber Eats. Uh, there as well, so you know, kind of keeping people engaged in the app through different ways of maybe not moving people, but moving things to people. Um, <laughs> I, I, from a digital perspective, though, the one thing we we see uh, around satisfaction is is people who use an app more frequently um, often understand the features better, and um, you know, just being more engaged with an app, you become more engaged with a brand and a company. So it does lead to you know, greater overall satisfaction. I think the the word of caution there is just to be, you, know, you can't add too many functions um, if they don't work right. Uh, so as you as you add everything, it has to be it has to be seamless. It has to work, um, and and you can't uh, you know cloud yourself with too much functionality that you lose perspective on what the app's original intended function is. So I mean, for right now, I think you know being more of a mobility company that's great, giving people options around how they get places and, um, you know, keeping their customers more engaged with the brand is probably going to pay off in the long run um, as long as they just uh, don't overcomplicate it. Yeah, and, and I think the rest of the industry can uh, uh, learn from these companies that live or die uh, on their app, right? So uh, as they continue to test and innovate, uh, really important to kind of keep up with what's going on there and, um, and what the results are. So thanks, Jenny. So, Mike, Jenny, and Andrea, thanks for joining us today. And You're quite welcome. Yeah. Uh, and thanks to our listeners for joining as well. To learn more about the JD Power Travel practice, uh, we have a new channel on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can follow us there. Just search on JD Power Travel and Hospitality Intelligence on LinkedIn uh, to, um, to get connected. And then also visit us on the web at jdpower.com business. And we'll see you next time.